This is episode 83 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events podcast. We're finishing up Men's Roundup 2011 with John Lynch. This is session four from Sunday morning. You know I can't see you, right? Not a, not a single one of you. I'm looking around as though I can, but I can't see you. It has been an absolute honor to be with you guys. I hope, uh, man, there's nothing like this weekend. There's just, I, I've been out there. Oh. Say that again? Come back next year. Oh, man, I, I would love to. I would love to. It, uh, seriously, this is uh, too, too much. Too, too much. Um, I have to do a practice golf swing. Uh, uh, <laughs> it landed right about there. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things, and I just want to start with this before we get into our session, one of the things that we're talking about this whole weekend is seeing right, seeing um, the scriptures right, seeing my life right, seeing in perspective enough. I remember when I was in seminary down in Los Angeles at Talbot, uh, I was also teaching our high school group, and I, I couldn't get this concept of heaven to them. It just seems so far off because we're stuck right here. And it just feels like there's this conspiracy that says in our own minds, I'm going to always be here. This is going to go on forever. And I'll always, you just don't think that there can possibly really be this place. We know it is. We know it's true. We know it's real. We believe it. But it's sometimes challenging to put ourselves in that picture that this is like the gap between the points on an old Volkswagen, this present life, right there. And then there's eternity. And we're all going to be there. And listen just for a second what it says. I heard this loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! Now listen, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them now forever, and they shall be his people, and God himself will walk amongst them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death or all the pain that is associated with death and loss. There will be no loss anymore. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. So I asked the high schoolers, I want you to make a list of what can this life bring you? Give me the best of this life for you, and then what can heaven bring you? And I said, I'll do the same. And so they brought their lists in, and I, I wrote this back in the day. I've changed it a little bit, but for the most part, it's the same. I've got a list of what I'm, if everything could go perfect on this earth, and I'm missing a few things. I mean, you can't, I couldn't put 
I'd like to own Norway. You know, I mean, where, where would you put it? You know, so I mean, you, you, but, but these are the things, this is my list of what heaven could offer or what earth could offer me. Well, I'd like to have legal authority to stop and arrest those who throw garbage from their cars by means of a giant bungee cord and a bullhorn. I would like to have John Hyatt and Keb Moe and the Waylon Jennings and David Crowder and Van Morrison and Emmy Lou Harris and Bruce Coburn attend my church and become deacons and deaconesses and supplement our worship by doing some of their special music. This is my list. I'd like there to be a special diet whose only condition is the more Mexican food you eat, the slimmer you get. I'd like the legal authority to force Jerry Springer and Howard Stern and Rosie O'Donnell to live together for a year in the biosphere. I would like to be chaplain at the Epcot Center. I'd like to carry Phil Mickelson's bag on the last day of the Masters. Forget Phil Mickelson, I want to be playing on the last day of the Masters. Somebody carrying my bag. I would just like to preach one message at Chase Field, where the Diamondbacks play in Phoenix. I'd like a huge, fancy Winnebago to drive the back roads of America for a month with 10 of my closest friends. I'd like to one time do a comedy spot on Letterman. <laughs> Instead of weeds, I'd like my yard to grow cashews. I'd like my church, Open Door Fellowship, to be located on the San Juan Islands just outside of Seattle, and I'd like us to have a fleet of ferry boats complete with an Einstein bagels and a really nice coffee stand to take people to and from church on the San Juan Islands. <laughs> I would like to own a tame deer who would get my newspaper in the morning. I'm not a well man. <laughs> I'd like to get a really good massage and not have it be a really strange experience. <laughs> what is weirder than a woman who's not my wife touching my back? That's not right. I want an old merchant marine working on me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to sing Volari in a lounge with a cheap Las Vegas band backing me. <laughs> Volari! Hey, where are you from? Whoa! Great to see you. Come on, tip the waitress. Let's stop it. Before I die, I'd like to do that. I don't know, all right? This is, this is my list, all right? Put your own stinking list, all right? <laughs> I'd like to preach just once in a church where people doing... Well, let me say this. 
I love preaching in black churches. Oh, man. Anglos are not responsive. You, 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 you preach in a black church and people are going, mmm, ow, mmm. He's in my mail. You're in my mail. It just, it, it, there's a lot of this going on. White folks do this. When they're at a fever pitch, they go, I tell you what, though, you do not want to do badly and be struggling in a black church because this is what they say. Help him, Lord. Help him. Help him, Lord. Help him. Help him. <laughs> you don't want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'd like to write um, a best-selling book that would show Jesus to non-believers in a way that would start a revival in America. And I'd like that curly hair to stop growing on my ears as I get older. <laughs> Thank you. And I would like to live in a country where there are no snakes. I hate snakes. <laughs> now listen, listen. That one, maybe at my best, that lasts perhaps 80 years. And it dims in its beauty, and I will get used to it, and I will, it will not be special after a while. And I'll get bored by it and accustomed to it. And none of it, none of it, zip, will fully meet my heart's cravings. So what could heaven offer me? No pain, no shame. No being misunderstood. No loneliness, no guilt. No feelings of not matching up, no compulsions, no addictions anymore. No jealousy. No competition, no more comparisons, no more selfish ambitions, no more hurt or pain or tears or regrets or tragedy or death, no more anxiousness, no more anxiety or fear or doubt. No more 10 o'clock news reports about child abuse or sexual abuse or sexual assault or domestic violence or hate crimes or murders or car accidents or pool drownings and drug overdoses and presidential affairs and robberies and meth labs and gang-related violence and embassy bombings and third-world countries threatening atomic war and epidemics and starving countries, no more airline disasters, no more Al-Qaeda. No more 10 o'clock news. No more infidelity. No more affairs, no more divorce, no more husbands and wives screaming at each other, telling the other that they don't love each other anymore. No more sexual flirtation. No more pornography. No more Sports Illustrated swimsuit editions. No more, no more sexual humor. 
No more poor, no more haves and have-nots, no more Darwinistic exploitation, no more mental illness, no more physical deformities or disease, no more AIDS, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more Alzheimer's disease, no more childhood memories of abuse. No more cliques or social or financial or intellectual snobbery. No more money separation, no more debt, no more envy over popularity or wealth or looks or athletic ability or talent. No more cult suicides in God's name. No more church splits in God's name. No more wars in God's name. No more Phariseeism and moralism in God's name. No more cultic heresy in God's name. No more shame and condemnation in God's name. No more dead churches. And you and I, in like that, will experience joy and elation and contentment and peace and love and tenderness and kindness like you don't even know how to see and color like you don't know how to understand. To be fully trusted, to be fully known, fully loved, fully accepted, to be fully a part of, fully significant, to laugh freely and often and not at anybody's expense. To be John Lynch without sin or insecurity, or doubt, or fear, or a guilty conscience, without the temptation of the evil one. To be John Lynch with new God-conditioned eyes and a completely revamped heart with endless energy and capacity and ability. And to be reunited with loved ones and to be surprised at who made it home. To understand everything that did not make sense here and have no more questions that you were going to ask God when you get to heaven. And this, God's word promises you, you will experience to look into the face of Jesus. and have him actually touch you and hold your face and speak your name and spend as much time with him as you'd like. That's coming during our watch. And to be free from graffiti and obnoxious car alarms and the home shopping network forever. (laughs) And this one lasts forever and it never gets less precious and you will never get used to it. It will stun you and knock you down for the rest of eternity. I'm ready. Amen. Amen. I have to see that. I have to know that. I have to believe that. I have to have that count for something in an economy where everything gets screwed up and I can't be the provider that I want to be, where things get hurt and sometimes relationships don't get resolved. I need to see that it's this and then forever. Well, we've been on a journey together. We started out Friday night 
and I talked to you about this race, and I talked to you about um, the fact that every single day there is a race for you to run. Every single day while you're sleeping, God sets out another piece of the course. Before the world began, he prepared it. And there's never a day that is not exactly customly marked out for you. He sees it for you. And you can miss it. You can miss it. You can just anesthetize yourself and bluff through the day. And all the while, there's a person here, and there's something here, and there's an emotion here. There's someone who needs you here. There's someone who delights in you here. There's someone, and I can bluff my way, callously, cynically, missing it. And so we talked about encumbrances. We talked about friends at the 20-mile mark. We talked about that new crowd that you meet at 23. talked about mile 12 when we lost those people that we thought would always run the race with us. And then Saturday morning, we started trying to give a picture of seeing God right. Gosh, if I have any passion in my life, it is this, to let us absolutely believe and embrace. I don't think we get it. We, we say, we understand Grace for justification. But do we understand every single good thing that happens in sanctification in my maturity is a gift from God, not something I can drum up? Do I understand that I've been fused with him? I'm going to, I'm going to say a couple of things in that theology part for a second. There's two, two statements that I hear so often that betray that we don't yet understand it. The, the first is we, I hear it in music all the time. More love, more power, more of you in my life. He's in that thinking, out there and I'm down here. You guys, you have all of Jesus that you're ever going to get. I don't know how to say it. How do I say that more clearly? You have all of Jesus that you're ever going to get. You have not been denied any of Jesus. You're fused with Jesus. He's not holding out. He's here. I just have to believe it. That's what this thing, that's why we're called believers. I trust this. I trust that right now, He's working in me every single moment. I'm trusting right, right now he's crazy about me, that he's got my back, that there's nothing I have to do exactly right to, so he'll perform for me and maybe I'll get 12% more of him. Another one, this is going to offend some people. What, what do I care? It's my last session. <laughs> there is one person who this statement makes sense for and nobody else. Less of me, more of Jesus. I must decrease so he can increase. Oh, that sounds so stinking holy. It was true for John the Baptist. Really? Is that what he wants? Is that what salvation is about? It can be less of me. I can just be a wee little man. 
I don't have many tastes now. It's we're trying to make less of me all the time. I'm just a shell of a man. That's what we're trying to do is have a smaller me. No. Never. He never wants that. He wants all of me and all the talent and all the abilities and capacity and who I am with Christ in me. I do not magnify him by making myself small. I magnify him by being Christ in John Lynch every single day full of him. Guys, what part of new creature do we not understand? Like I said, it's my last session. And if I get that, I start seeing life different. I start seeing my relationship with him differently. I start seeing who I am differently. And it affects things. I stop trying to impress God and somehow put on a show for you. I stop the religious game. I believe that right now I am enough and that whatever needs to be matured, he knows exactly how to do it in his time. And so I just let him. And I stopped playing this game. I'm not enough. I'm miserable. I'm so disappointing. All that does is allows you to give permission to allow yourself to sin more. And so today, we came from that first session to the second session of the theology to where last night we got to see ourselves as protectors. When you're free, when you no longer have to perform, you get to do that which you were made for. And we talked about the precious gift of giving a safe place for another to be known so that a John Lynch could tell that story that's been causing him to limp since he was in fifth grade. And we got to talk and see what it looks like when a failed dad allows himself to trust Jesus with him and win the heart of his daughter back. And now, in the last session, I wanted to talk about encumbrances again. There's, there's two words that I want us to look at. Repentance and forgiveness. Um, there's this incredible statement that if I understand, now you don't have to turn there, but in, in Romans, I don't know what I would do if this verse was not in Scripture. We know, Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He, not, not all things are good, Many of those things are evil. But he causes, he refashions, he takes them what the evil one intended for evil, and he refashions, and some of it he sends away, and some he sends through. He, he causes all things, every event, the most heinous event, to work together for, for what one day I will say, Jesus, you made that good. You restored that. You redeemed that. You healed that. You freed that. I couldn't see it in the moment as I looked at the pinprick of history, but I see it now. Do you know what this verse says? 
that he's not holding out on you, that you're not getting second best, that he never says oops regarding you. He never goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to make it up to you, but man, have I been busy. And I'm older. Did I mention that? (laughs) It means that something never happens because he's angry at you. It means he's never mocking you. It means he knows exactly what's going on right now and he's working all things together for good. Your good, your children, your wife, your friends, in times that don't make any sense. Now once I see God that way with his arm around me, And once I see and I can take out the sting of feeling that he's forgotten me or he's mocking me or he's playing me or he's working me or he's trying to break me. Another way, God's not trying to break you. God's trying to restore you from your brokenness. Once I get that view of God, that this is not a book that's judging me and condemning me and beating me up and telling me to dance faster. Now I'm free. Now I'm free to be a lover. Now this new nature gets to come out in me and I get to love. And I'm free to do two things. When I fail, I get to repent. Repentance, I'm I'm not going to take almost any time at all talking about repentance. Except to say this, repentance is not you promising God this time you're going to be better. Oh Lord, this time, I mean it. I want to come to you and tell you what I did was wrong and I'm not going to do it again. And God's saying, who's kidding who on this one? How many times have you told me that? Do you, do you think I enjoy hearing that? Repentant, yes, there's contrition that says, I hate what I've done. And God, I'm coming to you. But repentance is not a series of promises. I promise, I promise, I promise. I, in my power, in my strength, I promise. What if repentance wasn't you promising anything? but trusting his promise. What if repentance wasn't you drumming up something, but instead it was a gift from him? 2 Timothy 2.25, fascinating to see it. In the New American Standard, it says, he's talking about the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Now listen to this, he says, if perhaps God will grant them, give them, offer as a gift, repentance that will lead to a knowledge of the truth. Repentance isn't doing us something about our sin, and it's instead admitting that we can't do anything about our sin. Remember, we're believers. Every single end of repentance depends upon an act of redemption. Redemption. God redeeming something, paying for something, taking it and cleaning it and cleansing it and letting it be restored as his. To liberate by payment, to release from debt or blame 
So sin is resolved when we are cleansed of it, and that's what we want. Gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now listen to this. He says, if perhaps God will grant them, give them, offer as a gift repentance that will lead to a knowledge of the truth. Repentance isn't doing us something about our sin, and it's instead admitting that we can't do anything about our sin. Remember, we're believers. Every single end of repentance depends upon an act of redemption. Redemption. So sin is resolved when we are cleansed of it, and that's what we want is to be clean, not to grovel for a while and do some amends and then after a while be sort of okay and then maybe eventually pretty okay. I want to be cleansed. And that takes dependence on an act of redemption. And it depends upon the cross of Jesus. Every single time I sin or fail, I don't want to promise something new to God. I want to say, Jesus, you died on the cross for that. And I agree with you. It is wrong. And I hate that I put you on that cross for that sin. And I trust the power of that cross to clean me right now. Shh. Yes. It will create amends. Yes, you will go back and make right that which you've done wrong because you have the Spirit of God in you, but you'll be clean. That's repentance. Now, forgiveness. Let me tell you a story. A while back, Bill Thrall is in my living room, maybe five years ago now. And it's at the end of three years of me not being able to forgive someone. And I am miserable, and I have had him over again to tell him what has been done wrong and that he ought to help me do something about it and bring justice and have this man put in jail and maybe killed. Uh, We could do that the other way around, too. We could do it that way. For what he's done to me and how he's hurt my reputation. And Bill that night listened for the 54th time And he said, um, he started crying. And he said, I have to go home now because I can't watch my best friend in his bitterness. So I want to walk through a process now. I helped write about it in a book and then didn't understand it when I needed it most. It is the greatest gift for us to understand forgiveness accurately. See, what happens, I get hurt. Somebody does something to hurt me, and now I can either forgive it and say, Father, I don't want to hold on to that. That belongs to you. I'm not judge and jury. I don't want to fight this one. And I'll be free in that moment. But it feels sometimes like, no, you don't understand after what he's done because here we are. Remember, God stands against the proud. He puts his hands under his legs. He stands against the proud and he protects the humble. But if I say, God, I don't think you're doing this fast enough, 
I don't think you're doing this right enough. I don't think you're protecting me enough. And I need to, so I need to go take care of me. In that second, barbed hooks go into me. And I become immediately inflamed. And I start this process of getting sick. It's like you get wounded twice, huh? The person hurts you, and now you become the issue. And, and, and now this predictable series of events will follow. You'll start to build a case. And you'll start to be able to remember events, and you start rehearsing them over and over again. You will defend yourself, and you will, you will tell this story to anyone who will listen, just so they can pray more effectively. And now you're getting sick. And you're, now you're the victim and now you're the issue. And you can, remember, you can remember what that room smelled like. And you can remember. And, and then he said, he said this. I can't believe he said this. But this is what he said. And now you start to build a case. And the other person is totally unaware. And they're going about their business. I'm describing a lot of guys in this room. And we would never say it's because I don't trust God. We would say, no, no, justice needs to be brought to the front. I did that for three years. And during that time, you're not as available to your kids and to your family. You're stuck. And you need someone to help bring you home. That night was the breaking point for me. And I went back and I read the scriptures about forgiveness. And I read what we had written about forgiveness. And I realized, oh my gosh, I don't want to forgive this person because I don't want them to be set free. I don't want them to get away with something. So I will be, I'll make sure they don't get away with something. And I was the only one paying and all the people around me who needed me and loved me. So I realized in that time that there were two levels of forgiveness. There was a vertical forgiveness. I always thought there was just a horizontal forgiveness, that somehow I was supposed to come to you who had really wronged me and say, I, f um, I forgive you. I hate you with all my heart, uh, but I forgive you that somehow I was supposed to be a good Christian and just suck it up, and no matter what they did to me, the right thing was to not talk about it, not, hey, now you apologize first and tell me what you did. I just thought that what I was supposed to do was just to get past it because I love Jesus and because what he did for me on the cross, I should be free from it. And I kept limping. And I realize there is a vertical forgiveness, but it is not the first forgiveness, a, a horizontal forgiveness. There is a vertical forgiveness that must take place first. Because you understand what I've done? In that moment, and, and you place that name, that picture, that person, I have a person very clearly in mind. You know what I've done? I took over being judge and jury. Remember? I have to stand against the proud. And the humble 
those who say, God, I'm trusting you to take care of every single thing in my life. I trust your character. I trust that you know how to vindicate me. I, I trust him that you know how to fight my battles. He says, oh, those people, I protect. I love to protect them. They are the ones who are trusting me with the scariest, hardest, freakiest things in their life. And that's where I do magic. That's where I do power. That's where I do the supernatural. But it took me a long time to get there until one day I finally said, Jesus, I'm so tired. I'm so weary of telling this story that I've been telling over and over and over again. My own son, Caleb, had to say, Dad, you're not okay. You need help. So I had to come to a place where I said, Jesus, did you really, on the cross, pay for this? Are you really this strong that you're watching out for me and that you can protect me if I'll let you and not take it from you? What, what would happen if I said, I'm no longer going to be judge and jury. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to hand that to you. And God says, kid, you have no idea how long I've been waiting. So, I just want to give you a quick pattern. First, I have to admit that something happened. I don't want to do that because if I do that, then I have to admit something happened and that you have power in my life. And so, so often, or if it happened really young, I don't want to admit that it happened. That was me for up until four years ago. I have to say, no, this happened to me, God. And then secondly, I have to address the consequences of the sin done against me, not just the sin done against me. This guy who I'm thinking about who hurt me he didn't, didn't just do something. He cost me something. He cost me my availability with my family during that time because I was a mess. He cost me reputation. To this day, he has cost me reputation. He cost me freedom. He cost me friendships. He cost me ministry dreams. He cost me my own relationship with my wife where we would have fights about this. He cost me... And so I have to face those consequences, not just the sin. And then I have to heap it all up. And for some of you, this might be page after page of writing that down. For some of you, it might be going out in the desert or into the mountains and just howling like a coyote and getting every single stinking thing out. Until you have this huge ball of what was done. And then he did this and I can't believe it and it hurt. It's still to this day and I don't get it. And get it out. And then, forgive him before God. Not for his sake, but for your benefit. It has nothing to do with him so far. Nothing, nothing at all. Haven't talked to him, haven't done a thing. This is all about you and God. God, I've played judge and jury, and I'm tired, and I'm weary, and I'm beaten up. <sighs> 
I've lost confidence in who I am. And I'm racked with anger and resentment and jealousy and envy. And he seems to be getting away scot-free. And I'm tired of carrying this. I took it away from you and I became judge and jury. I don't want to be God anymore. Either you're strong enough to protect me or this has all been a shell game to begin with. So I do. I, I, I hand all of it and say, Father, please, I'm so scared. I am so scared. What if you don't do anything? What if you don't do enough? I've been taking care of this. I trust you, Jesus. There's nothing more precious to him than when one of us does this. And I say, it's yours. I give it to you. I'm done. I'm done with the accusations. I'm done with the gossip. I'm done with speaking stories so people can pray more effectively. It's yours. Take care of me, please. That single moment of trust says, God, I believe who you are. I believe the power of the cross. I believe that you're sovereign. I believe that you adore me, that you will fight my battles for me. And God says, give it to me, kid. That is forgiveness vertically for your benefit. And the next sound I can hear is hooks falling to the floor. Do you know when you will be certain that you've actually done this? is when you can come to him in love. Up until that point, I need him to say something for my benefit. But look, I'm already protected. I'm already taken care of. I don't need to hear anything from him for my benefit. I'm already clean. I'm already safe. I'm already protected. I'm already justified. I'm already vindicated. I'm already cleansed. Now, oh, now here's where it gets good. Now I get to go to see, based on his repentance, to forgive him vertically or horizontally for his benefit. For his benefit. Well, now we're doing Christ work. Now we're doing real stuff. I've done it vertically to get the hooks out of myself. And I don't shortcut it. I take as long until I believe that I've done it. Until I believe that I've actually given up my right to it. And then I experience hooks dropping out and I experience no longer hatred. But instead, maybe sadness for that person. Because here's the problem too. A person who has done the wrong event, they feel guilt. And they need to be freed, and they don't know how to be freed. This is what I've watched my best, most mature friends do, and I'm learning to do it myself. Bruce McNichol, who helped write True Face. By the way, keep checking the True Face site. We're, we're coming out with what I think is our most important work that we've ever done, that God's given us to do. We just don't have a title for it yet. 
It's going to probably come out in October or November, but just keep checking the website. I'm really excited for you guys to get it. But what, you, what Bruce does, he'll go into a town. Every time he goes into a town, and that person is not ready, and they're not ready to own their stuff, and he just, he just, has them, just takes them to lunch and just loves them and just says, I just want to be with you. And freaks them out, first of all. But second of all, they go, this guy's free. I'm the tied-up one now. And eventually, I've watched Bruce get to go time after time into people's relationships and say, do you want to face what happened? Because I want you to be free. There is nothing more magical and strong and powerful than a relation that has been tested by hurt. When we forgive each other and bare our throats to each other, my golly, it's powerful. So this one is for my sake, to get the hooks out of me. I forgive him before God for my sake. And then horizontally, I forgive him based upon his repentance and his acknowledgement. Because it does him no favor to shortcut it. Just to say, hey, I just forgive you. I just forgive you. He's still stuck. So even though I've forgiven him, I want to watch this man be freed. Um, and then I also have to, um, if this is going to work, I have to distinguish between forgiving and trusting them. See, I want you to know, forgiving someone does not mean that you automatically have to trust them again. Trust is earned. And a lot of people stop short of this, thinking, I'm going to have to trust this person again. No, trust is earned, and you can't talk your heart into when you will trust. And there's one more disclaimer. To make sure that you're seeking reconciliation not just conflict resolution. So many of us are just trying to get past a conflict, and so we have a technique to get past a conflict. But this is relational. This is between two. This is between sometimes a church and me. Sometimes it's between a pastor. Sometimes it's between a son and a father. And I'm not just trying to get past and leverage past a conflict. I'm resolving a relationship. Guys, if we try to bury this stuff, we can. We can bury it away and act like it didn't happen and just go on with our lives, and most people will not be able to tell. But the problem is that wound is buried alive. And so as we wrap up our time, I'm just thinking about you. I'm thinking about you having that experience that I had that night with Bill where he said, um, I have to go home now. Guys, that night, I cried for a while. I, I was mad at Bill. I said, how dare you? He's the bad person, not me. He's the guilty person, not me. And that night, I finally had to cry out and say, Father, I've become sick. I've become bitter. 
I have to trust your repent. I have to trust your gift of repentance to cleanse me now. Father, let what you did on the cross work for me. Help me home. Help me home. And I wrote out that list, the list of the consequences, the list of what was done against me, and I cried my way through it to him until I got it all out. And then maybe in the most new nature visible way that I'd ever done, I said, I trust you with me. This is my life, this is my reputation, and I trust you. Here, take it. Now, I want to tell you something. I was healed that day. I want to tell you something else. I was healed 84% because I still see him in public and in different situations, and new things come up, and each time they come up, I go, <clears throat> it hurts again. And so each time I have to do the same thing. Father, not mine. Doesn't belong to me anymore. I'm a free man. I'm a free man, and I won't go back. And I've never watched anything more miraculous. You guys, this gift, it is yours from the living God. It, all it waits is your choice to give up and be tired enough. And you get to be free, my sweet brothers, my dear, mighty, strong, powerful, protecting brothers. Father, God of the universe, the one who knows our names, who knows our hurts, who knows our thoughts, who adores us more than we love ourselves. I give these men to you. Most of them I'll never see again until we get to the wedding feast of the Lamb and, and one of them is going to come up and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, I did what you said. And I got free. I give these brothers to you and all the families that are represented in them, all the marriages, all the children, all the beautiful life left to hold of them. <sighs> Father, free them. By the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, free us. Let us trust this new identity. Let us trust your sovereignty and no longer hold on and play little gods, but let you be God. I pray it in the powerful, sweet name of Jesus Christ. Amen.